It's just after 8 o'clock in the big city. It's time for America's favorite Las Vegas sports show, SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rabaputi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada-style pub with three locations. One on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the Strip. Steiner's Pub. We love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center. Book your non-invasive scan today for peace of mind. Visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. Laborers Union 872. The builders of Allegiant Stadium and the Las Vegas Ballpark. Home of the Aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a 10% discount on your promotion items order. Promodirect.com. And by William Hill Racing Sportsbook. America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit WilliamHill.us. So get ready because Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. All right, KT, live PSBR Law Studios on a Fat Tuesday. PSBR Law, the best in personal injury. May not need that number now, may need it in the future. You jot it down, 702 area code, you got down 830-9353, over $3.5 billion in verdicts and settlements for their clients the past decade. Success rate 99%. Strength by your side. The relentless pursuit of justice. Brian Panish, not a happy camper after his Fresno State Bulldogs go down at home on the final play to Jonathan Smith in Oregon State. Get into a ton of college football. Hour number two with Megalox. Chris Warinsky will join me. Hour number two. Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5 sports anchor, joins me in about six minutes from now. A little silver and black state report for you. Not the best uh, report off the bat. Tough loss against the Chargers in L.A. Uh, lots of college football, as I said, hour number two. Lots of NFL review in the second segment of the show in hour number one. I'll bring my good pal Mark Hoke. Mark Hoke and Fish Fane doing a nice job on Monday nights. The uh, Fish Tank with uh, Fish and Hope. Pretty solid stuff. And don't forget the Mark Hoke Show Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. You like professional wrestling, you'll love the Mark Hoke Show. And uh, I'll give you one guess on what you think the bumper music will be tonight. All right, good guess. All right, uh, that was good. You all nailed it, including my good buddy Dave Deneen up there in Reno, cruising around, driving around. Some inclement weather coming in from Arizona today. And I uh, hit a little bit of rain over there, uh, just crossing over the border uh, into Nevada. But... Uh, you know, it's kind of just waiting there. So I know we're getting some weather reports. We could have them throughout the next couple hours. Don't know, but I saw a lot of ominous clouds. But it just seems like they just hang over there, kind of like the schlep rock clouds, and then they just go away. Unless it's Mark Hoke walking outside. Then it pours all over him and just follows him around. But that's the way it is. How about this? My good pal T.C. Martin going to fill in on his show on Thursday. And T.C. on Thursday will be in Connecticut and the Las Vegas Aces will have a chance to win a championship because they took care of business big time in the second half tonight. 85-71, they roll. They now lead two games to none over the Connecticut Sun, and Las Vegas could have a championship real soon. Could be as early as Thursday when they go to Connecticut. We'll see how that all pans out. 85-71, the final, as the uh, Aces 
as I said, third quarter really was when they took care of business. So the first and third quarter had an eight-point lead after one, 23-15, played even in the second quarter, 23-17 in the third quarter, and then played even in the fourth quarter. 85-71, they get the win. Asia Wilson, league MVP, takes care of business tonight in a big way, 26 points, 10 rebounds, and a block shot, and only one personal foul for Asia. Meanwhile, Chelsea Gray, 21 points, and Kelsey Plum had 20 so you get three gals scoring over uh, 20 points. You're in pretty good shape with Nikki Hammond, uh, best coach, of course, coach of the year in the WNBA. Las Vegas Aces, 85, Connecticut Suns, 71. Two games to none. Las Vegas leads that series. We'll look for the clincher on Thursday and hope to have T.C. Martin <clears throat> on the show after uh, the Aces take care of business. His schedule pretty busy as he's getting ready to get out of town. Uh, Megalox, as I said, hour number two, and Kevin Bollinger will be set to go with me in just a couple minutes. Real quick to the Richard Badgen Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. Get you updated on some games going on. Major League Baseball, 3-0. Dodgers lead at Arizona, bottom five, and they're beating up on Merrill Kelly. Kershaw on the hill there. Went off a minus 196. Dodgers just a machine, 53 games over 500. And Atlanta can pull back within a half game of the Mets. Kyle Wright and the Braves in control up in the Northwest, leading San Francisco and Jacob Junis, 4-1 to the score there. Again, top five. The Mets, minus 430 on DeGrom. You bet it, you lost it. Glad I didn't play it. Even minus a run and a half, you had to be minus 200. I mean, or 180 or something like that. Crazy. Uh, Cubbies never looked back, had that lead. DeGrom had struck out 10 in six innings. That's the last I saw of him. But 4-1, to one, Mets didn't get their run until the bottom of the ninth. So I wonder what the alternate run line was on that. Probably pay like 700 Who knows? I'll have to see if somebody has that. Noah Parker, Crooklyn Baller, uh, Steve Fezzik, somebody will send me in and let me know what it would have been. Reverse run line on the Cubs tonight over the Mets. 4-1, though, the Cubbies win it. 6-1 Pittsburgh matinee style over Cincinnati. That was the early game, late game. Uh, let me see. I know they had a late game. There it is. One nothing Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh sweeps a doubleheader. When the heck's the last time the Pirates won a doubleheader? One uh, nothing in the nightcap. Philly wins two to one. Al- Alcantara started that game for Miami. Still in good shape for the Cy Young Award, but lose to Philadelphia as the Phils tighten up a grip on one of those wild cards. Two to one the final in that game. Milwaukee doubles up on St. Louis eight to four, trying to keep their wild card hopes alive. Doubt they could catch the Cardinals. Unless they sweep them the four games, this was the first of four, I think two and two, two in St. Louis, two in Milwaukee. This is the first of two in St. Lou, and 8-4 Milwaukee wins in American League. Tampa and Toronto, they played a doubleheader north of the border. Tampa won the opener 4-2 to two, to go back ahead of Toronto by a half game, but the Blue Jays came back in the night gap behind Manoa 7-2, to two, and they take care of business, so they're back a half game in front. Cleveland 3-1 to one over the L.A. Angels. Guardians back in front there in first place in the AL Central. Detroit gets beat at home by Houston 6-3. to three. Yankees a wild game in extra innings beat Boston 7-6. to six. They got 3 in the 10th. Boston came back with 2 in the 10th, but the Yankees win at 6-3 or 7-6. Uh, 6-3 Minnesota doubles up on Kansas City in 8-7. Texas gets a run home in the bottom of the ninth, beats Oakland by that 8-7 count. Baltimore 4-3. There's a the cat out of the bag there for our bumper music as they knock off Washington. So still hanging in there with those uh, faint wild card hopes alive there for the Orioles. 4-2 White Sox behind Kopech beat Colorado at home on the south side. And Padres lead Seattle. Good pitching matchup here. Darvish and Gilbert. 
And that is top five in Seattle. Padres up one nothing. Keep an eye on that. But again, the big score of the night, Las Vegas Aces 85, Connecticut 71. Las Vegas laying four and a half. No problem there. Game stays under the 161 and a half. Hits 156. But the Aces, most importantly, lead two games to none. Again, game four will be Thursday from Connecticut. And we will uh, start doing various nights of the week. The Silver and Black State Report. Nevada used to be the Silver State. Now it's the Silver and Black State. Live from the PSBR Law Studios in Las Vegas. This is the Silver and Black State Report with your host, Ken Thompson. Ken will talk with various media, coaches, and players throughout the NFL season. So buckle up, Raider Nation. It's time for the Silver and Black State Report. All right, here we go. Thanks to Mark Hope getting that, and thanks to John Lindquist, man. This guy is phenomenal. Mark turned me on to John. He's just been a veteran. He's in the uh, Broadcasters Hall of Fame, but he is fantastic and does a lot of great work for KT and SportsX Radio. We welcome in Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5 sports anchor, one of the best in the business, at Kevin Fox 5 Vegas. Follow him on Twitter. KB, tough game on Sunday. Raiders hung in there. I thought the defense played really well in the second half. You hold the Chargers to only seven points and shut them out in the fourth quarter. You should have a chance to win, especially with what we expect to be a very high-scoring offense for the Silver and Black. But they trailed at 17-3 to at halftime, cut into that lead, got it back to 24-19, couldn't get the two-point conversion to pull within a field goal, and then they fall short. Derek Carr, three interceptions. Had a couple touchdown passes, but three interceptions. A couple times fumbling the ball. Raiders able to get on those fumbles, but uh, the sacks, uh, not good. And uh, when you look at this Charger defense, it's been the same old story with the pressure that they get on the Raiders. How about six sacks, five tackles for loss? The Raiders, no sacks on Herbert, did have five tackles for loss. But nonetheless, even though you get 23 more plays than the Chargers, you come up short 24-19. to So some good to take out of it. It's just game one. I thought the Chargers needed the game more so than the Raiders just because Thursday they're in Kansas City, could ill afford to lose a home divisional game against the Raiders. If the Raiders would have won, it would have been a great start. Lots of things to work on, and it's tough when you see a lot of the starters, KB, not play in the preseason at all. I understand you don't want to get them hurt during the preseason, but you got to get them some type of game activity. And uh, so some good and some bad, and what does Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5, think of the Raiders opener in Los Angeles at SoFi? Yeah, a little bit of rust to, to kick off there, KT, uh, that we saw with the Raiders. Definitely not as crisp and sharp as, as will be seen as we go through the season. But in no way uh, should anybody be panicking right now in Raider Nation. Uh, a, a lot of good things. I, I think that when you brought up the, the defense looking solid, to me that that was the most promising thing that I saw because over the last several years it's been the defense that's you know caused some problems outside of the the defensive line and, and Max Crosby doing his thing uh, over the last couple of years, there've been some issues on the back end of that defense. And I thought that they did a pretty good job overall against an excellent quarterback in Justin Herbert. Uh, I thought they did a good job on Eckler as well, but the, to me, it comes back to uh, the offensive line issues. Uh, although, you know, most of us have been focusing on the right side of the offensive line. Uh, but really uh, Colton Miller did not have a good game and, and he had, uh, some issues there on the left side as well. So uh, it was not just all focus on the right side. There were some issues 
throughout the entire game uh, with the entire offensive line, which led to those sacks and, and Carr not uh, being able to get rid of the ball. There are a couple of different things that I took out of it. Uh, yeah, Khalil Mack coming back, three sacks, three tackles for loss. You know that guy's coming, right? And then I, I get it, too, with Colton Miller that you don't want to risk an injury to the one anchor on the offensive line that you know is going to be that key component. You know what he's done in the past few years. Again, a stretch a lot of people thought to grab him, I think, overall number nine a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's been nothing short of excellent for uh, the silver and black as far as in the trenches on the offensive line. But offensive line cohesiveness and, and uh, chemistry, it takes a while. And if you're rotating other guys trying to find out who are going to be at those other four positions, then it's going to be tough. It's going to take some time to get that timing down with everybody, for everybody to be on the same page. So we saw the seven guys as we came out of camp. Colton Miller left tackle. John Simpson left guard. Andre James, who was actually Colton's teammate at UCLA, he's the center. Right guard Lester Cotton, who's made a nice showing of himself uh, when we thought he'd be out of football potentially at this time. And Jermaine Illuminor on right tackle. The backups are two rookies, Dylan Parham out of Memphis, uh, backing up John Simpson at left guard, but can play multiple positions. And Thayer Munford, Jr., the rookie out of Ohio State, seventh-round pick for the Raiders and listed as a right tackle backup. But, again, he's somebody that uh, may have to pay, play more than one position. Cause, so you carry seven. What did you see outside of you saying Colton Miller having a poor game? What did you see from the other components on the offensive line, KB? Well, it wasn't just Colton Miller. I don't want to single out Colton Miller because there were others. I mean, you brought up Khalil Mack. There was one play in particular on one of the sacks of Carr where he just bull rushed Illuminor and essentially threw Illuminor into Carr and took out two for one, really. Uh, and, and Khalil Mack and, and Joey Bosa, uh, just tough, tough guys to handle for any veteran offensive line. But, uh, when you talked about rotating players, and I mean they they had guys shuffling in and out uh, on that right side throughout the time uh, throughout the game, which was a little surprising uh, that they were you know stuff that they did in the preseason. We just didn't expect to see it as much during the regular season. Um, so in terms of getting that continuity, might be a little tough. They really liked Sarah Munford. He's got the size to be a right tackle. Uh, more than a Luminor. Luminor's size is not necessarily what you would think of as an NFL tackle. Um, so they really like Mumford, but there's some issues they've, they've got to work through. And, and, and they, you know, I think that there's some, you know, all the way down too in terms of, of you know, just trying to get, get a little bit of help, whether it's, it's getting Foster Moreau in there and we saw a little bit of him blocking or, or having somebody in the backfield uh, to help out with some protection if they need to. All right, KB. So I remember uh, talking to Coach McDaniels, and specifically I was focusing in on this particular team, the Chargers, because the Raiders have had trouble with the Charger pass rush in years past. And Joey Bosa, a mainstay. Now, when he's healthy, he's somebody that a lot of times can demand a double team. But when you bring in Khalil Mack, and let's remember the Raiders' fortunate the J.C. Jackson all-star uh, Pro Bowl guy that they get from New England for the secondary was out of this game. That's just another key component for that Charger defense. But we know that Derek Carr is comfortable back in that pocket, and he feels 
that he can throw just about any ball. And, I, you know, he's getting the ball out quicker at times. At least that's what we saw, you know, in the, uh, in the scrimmages and, and throughout practice. And when you have receivers like Adams and Renfro and Waller, uh, standouts that you can just get in the vicinity, and most of the times these guys are going to make a play, you know, you're expecting big things from this offense. But the one component that I've never seen the Raiders take advantage of is Derek Carr's lateral movement. Look, if Derek Carr was somebody that wasn't athletic, that was slow, that you know was a Tom Brady-like guy that has to be in the pocket or a Peyton Manning-like guy, then I get it. But to me, Derek Carr has good athletic ability. Why not? And I know if you remember the game in London against the Bears, they had two plays in that game, because I remember I was sitting with Coach Tom Flores and Daryl LaMonica and their wives, sitting at Steiner's Pub, uh, down there on uh, Las Vegas Boulevard and watching a couple fake handoffs and then roll with the tight end one time. That car flipped it to the tight end. And then another time, I think, to a running back, maybe Jacobs out of the backfield. And I was like, man, that's great because they did it off the get-go to get Carr outside the tackle box. And so to me, not that you want to do that too often, but against a team like the Chargers, just to put that in the back of their mind that, hey, he's not going to set up in the same spot every single time, so we can't just hone in and not expect the Raiders to maybe try something different. I'm just shocked that they don't do that. I thought they were going to roll him out, especially on a fourth down play at at the very end of the game, just to to try and get a little bit of time uh, to, to do that. Uh, but I think, you know, the one thing is, is, is Josh McDaniels has had a lot of success with this offense uh, in New England. And I, th- I think Raider Nation needs to trust the process. And it's just week one. And, you know, let this thing develop. That You know, these guys know what they're doing. And uh, I think that, that you're going to start seeing, you know, things added on more and more uh, to get this thing rolling as it goes along. So that's why I, I, you know, been kind of stressing that to not hit the panic button after, after one game. And I think that that goes to, with the offense as well. I, I, you know, if this was, a uh, somebody who did not have 22 years of experience in the NFL, uh, then that'd be one thing, but, uh, he, he has pretty good track record to, to go by. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see it, it grow and develop over the next few weeks. And let's face it, and we've talked about this since the schedule got released, extremely tough front end, extremely tough back end, a little softer in the middle. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it puts a little bit more importance uh, to, to get that home opener on Sunday against the Cardinals. Yeah, no, no question. But Coach McDaniels also told me, he said, he said, Kenny goes, what we'll do is we're going to specifically game plan for each individual team and try and take away their strengths. For me, the Chargers, and you know it, has been their pass rush. And when you bring a Khalil Mack in on top of Joey Bosa and Tranquil and these other guys, again, that's the one team that I would get Carr outside the tackle box because it gives him a run-pass option. It also doesn't have him scrambling around in the vicinity of the pocket where he's running into his own guys and it looks like the Keystone Cops because Derek kind of gets lost in there because there's so much going on, there's so much congestion. If I roll him out even two or three times in that game, it's going to put that in the back of the Chargers' minds like, hey, this could be one of these fakes, so we can't just zone in on that. I get it, KB. I mean, I know Coach McDaniels has been around the game. I've been watching pro football for 53 freaking years. And when I see something from one team specifically over and over again, 
I think it's time to address that. Again, we'll see what happens the next time the Raiders play the Chargers here, but that is the one team that has given them fits as far as no matter, I don't care if incognito, whoever was on the offensive line, the Chargers have always been that team over the last several years that have really brought the pressure on the Raiders and Derek Carr, and I just think we're not taking advantage or no coach has really taken advantage of Derek Carr's whole package as far as his athleticism. This is a guy that plays basketball. He's very agile. We've seen him do you know things outside of football that just show his athleticism, and I would just like to see when you get him outside the tackle box, I mean, heck, if somebody's coming on him, what can you do? You throw the ball out of bounds, get it to the line of scrimmage, or run and slide, and they can't touch you instead of being, you know, congested. And we saw it how many times it was, you felt it. You're watching the game, and you're like, we're in trouble. He's going down, he's going to fumble, or or something bad's going to happen, and you could just feel it. Three interceptions, six sacks, that's just not good. Let's hope that it changes the next time we play the Chargers. Now, the Arizona game coming up on Sunday, it's my birthday. There's no freaking way we're losing that game. I've got two brother-in-laws coming in from Arizona, and they're already giving me the business, but they've kind of cooled off since they got their uh, team lit up big time by Kansas City at home on Sunday where they weren't even in the game. So we come off a tough road loss, come back home. I would think we should be able to take care of business against Arizona. What's your take on the game coming up on Sunday the 18th? Well, that line has certainly moved a lot. I believe the game opened at two and a half uh, for the Raiders, and it's ballooned up to between five and six, depending on where you shop around town. So uh, certainly based on on, uh, what was seen in week one, it has led to a a fairly large line movement on that. Uh, And and let's face it, those guys uh, usually uh, are are pretty darn good at uh, uh, putting, putting that stuff out. Uh, I think Kansas City gave a great blueprint in terms of, of what the Raiders can do offensively to maybe some of the defensive holes of, of the Cardinals. And really, you know, when it comes down to the Cardinals, who who are missing some key players right now uh, as well, uh, they're going to have to contain Kyler Murray, and that really comes comes down to to doing that. And the fact that the Raiders have some depth on the defensive side of the ball for the first time in a while uh, it really is going to be impactful in a game like this against a quarterback like Kyler Murray because they can get some fresh bodies out there. All right, and Hunter Renfro, I expect that we'll probably get some more action to Hunter. Uh, a quiet game from him, but Devontae Adams coming up big and a tough play when, and, and you know, the like the, the interception, I'm okay with that because we've seen it in practice where Devontae Adams goes up amongst you know, two defenders and comes down with the ball, or if he doesn't come down with it, nobody comes down with it. And again, I know he was probably looking for a pass interference call there and maybe didn't go uh, strong enough to maybe uh, deny the interception, hoping to get a call. But at the end of the day, we'll take a shot because if it's one-on-one with Devontae Adams, and I think that's what Derek saw initially, I think we're okay with that. We'll take our chances with Adams one-on-one deep against anybody. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought up Hunter Renfro. I think that was one of the bigger shockers for me was that he didn't even have a target until about uh, four minutes or so left in the third quarter, Uh, and that was surprising. Now, they defended him extremely well. They were really tied on him. They have one of the better, uh, you know, slot inside uh, coverage guys on the Chargers. Um, But, you know, it it shows the importance of Hunter Renfro to the offense as well. And, you know, I'm sure – you know, Derek Carr uh, would love to have that throwback to Devontae Adams. Uh, he had a step early, and he entered through the ball. Uh, as you said, if, it, if it's even him going up against the two defenders for that ball, 
uh, I'll, I'll put my money on De- Devontae Adams to get that. So, uh, you know, there, like we said, there was some rust and there was some small, uh, small little things that happened. You know, uh, Josh Jacobs had an easy path uh, to the end zone and he slipped and fell on the first and goal situation. And then he had the one ball that was thrown behind uh, on third down. So it, it was, it was a, a mixture of rust and some bad luck and, and the fact that Khalil Mack is just good. No question. Uh, and that's what, what kind of added up to that. But I, I think you're going to see uh, a, a team that's going to come out with uh, even more fire to to put up some big numbers this week. Last question, KB. Uh, Chargers offensive line or lack of Raiders pressure, maybe their own fault. Uh, you know, what do you come up with? We have zero sacks. They have six. Now, one was on Devontae Adams, but five on Carr. We don't have any. And we have five tackles for loss. But to me, that's not good enough when you have, you know, uh, Max Crosby, who's one of the best in the game, but you also bring over Chandler Jones to not have a sack at all. And I understand Herbert's a young stud up and coming. He's a big boy and knows how to play the game at a young age. But your take as far as lack of defensive pressure on Herbert. I think that the number one of the Chargers offensive line is better than it was a year ago. They spent a, a high draft pick to bring in a guard, I believe it was. Uh, and they held their own. But the Chargers are so balanced in their attack. You have to respect Austin Eckler so much, and you have to respect what Justin Herbert could do as, as in terms of what the Raiders talked about a lot last week coming into is when you know he gets out of the pocket and they go off script. Uh, that is the danger. And so uh, maybe that led to, to not getting – because they had to, to worry maybe a little bit more on the perimeter stuff. Uh, that that led to less of that, where the Chargers could kind of more bull rush guys, knowing that they're go- going to you know be right there in the pocket. I think that that was you know maybe something that uh, uh, they'll figure out. But with Kyler Murray next week, uh, we'll have to figure out too where wh- what they do with that. But I think that you know that they're a little bit not as dangerous as the Chargers are, not as multi-dimensional as the Chargers' offense are. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll see Crosby and Chandler Jones in that uh, defensive line uh, get a little bit more pressure this week. KB, appreciate you. What you got coming up on Fox 5 tonight? We have uh, got tons of aces coverage. We've got Paloma Villacana out there uh, uh, at the, the Michelob Ultra Center, and we're going to have highlights, post-game reaction. We have a, a news crew out there with fan reaction as the excitement really is building with this aces team. Just one win away from a WNBA title. So, uh, that's going to be the focus on the sports side uh, tonight. And then we'll be right back at it tomorrow uh, with the, with the Raiders. We've got Josh McDaniels talking to the media before practice and Derek Carr and Devontae Adams speaking after practice. So busy day out in Henderson at the Raiders facility. Kevin Bollinger, I appreciate you, buddy. As always, you're the best, pal. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, KT. Great stuff from Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5. They do such a great job on their sports. And uh, brought to you tonight by the Preventative Diagnostic Center, pdcenterlv.com. Do not forget, we've got the only scanner of its kind in the region that gives you early detection before signs and symptoms of more than two dozen ailments like heart and lung disease, cancers, Preventative Diagnostic Center. Give a call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. Schedule that free educational consultation. You got the 702 down for Vegas, 534-7900, 534-7900, Make sure you tell them Ken Thompson Sports X Radio sent you. Christy and I got our scans. My wife, a cancer survivor, 
we're all clear on our scans. Second time in two years, we go every two years. So uh, just that peace of mind is really what it's all about, knowing that you don't have anything starting up in any of your uh, main arteries or uh, on in any of your main organs. Uh, you can get that heart CT scan and calcium score special. It's $125 for a $600 value. Your significant other, absolutely free. So the two of you go for a total of $125, a $1,200 value. Uh, comfortable scan takes only a few minutes, and then you get a detailed report a few days later from a board-certified radiologist. It is the Preventative Diagnostic Center, pdcenterlv.com. Early detection is key. Get peace of mind. Take charge of your health. Again, call. Leave a message now. They'll get back to you. 534-7900, 534-7900. Ken Thompson, Mark Hoke. Going to come back, talk some NFL football, hour number two. Chris Marinsky, Megalox, going to join me, and we're going to talk a lot of college football. I'll keep you abreast of what's going on on the Diamonds as well, and I think you'll recognize the bumper music when we come back. SportsX Radio rolling at you Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. right here at KDWN, 101.5 on the FM side, 720 on the AM side tomorrow night, live at Steiner, 1750 North Buffalo. Join me then. I'm looking forward to some lamb chops tomorrow, and I know Mark Hoke looking forward to some lamb chops from our good pal, Wayne Krivsky. We'll be right back, live from Vegas. Something magic happens Every time you go You make the magic happen The magic of Orioles baseball When the game is close And the yokes are hot there's a thundering roar from 34 to give it all they've got. And you never know who's gonna hear the call. Every game does a different star. That's the magic of Orioles baseball. Orioles magic, feel it happen. Orioles magic, feel it happen. that song but uh i think you've all got it locked in your brain my good pal dave deneen sending me the schedule for the 1994-95 uc riverside highlanders back when kt was in his first year of broadcasting division two basketball and ucr goes all the way to the national championship pretty impressive uh, i do remember that and that trip to louisville was one that i'll never forget my good partner Mike Marlat Casper, his nickname, uh, partner at Thompson Colgate Law Firm in Riverside, was my color commentator, and we had a blast in Louisville. And uh, some wild stories. We'll get into them one of these days. Told a few of them in years past. But uh, Mark Hoke, a happy camper because his Orioles back on the winning track. Again, Tampa Bay and Toronto splitting out. Seattle was losing last we saw, and they're still down one nothing, top seven to Seattle. I mean, to, to San Diego, I'm sorry, Seattle losing to San Diego, one nothing at home. In that wild card, Mark, uh, before we talk a little NFL football, where are you guys? How far back as far as uh, wild card, about four or five games? Technically five, but uh, the interesting part is that we're actually trailing the Blue Jays more than we are, or the other two teams more than the Blue Jays, even though the Blue Jays are behind them because we lost tie breaks. So, yeah, it's going to be... They, they're going to have to light them up, but they got six left with the Jays, so we'll see. There you go. Okay, so right. The, so the Rays beat you not, uh, 10 to 9. That's right. So you lost the tiebreaker to the Rays, but the Jays you can still catch. Yeah, we lost the tiebreaker to the Mariners, too, who are actually going to be. If they lose that game, I think they're actually behind Toronto now. So uh, Mariners Those, are uh, right now, yeah, they, they would be a half game behind uh, the Jays. They would be a half game behind Toronto, and they would be tied 
if they lose that game, they'd be tied with Tampa Bay. And so, therefore, you'd have to focus in on uh, you know, catching, well, one of those teams, you'd have to pass them. Or hopefully, you know, Toronto, again, just with a half-game lead over Tampa Bay right now and potentially a half-game lead over Seattle. If that lead holds up, it's just one nothing. San Diego leading Seattle. Great pitching matchup. You called it last night. Uh, with Fish Fane saying that was going to be one heck of a pitching matchup, and it has turned out to be just that. How about Aaron Judge? Home runs 56 and 57 tonight. Woo. He is just having a ridiculous year, and it's legit. I mean, from what we know, it's legit, right? I mean, we remember, and there we go, one of those, we don't want to say rude interruptions because you need to know when this weather is going to happen. The other night when I was there in uh, Phoenix, you talk about monsoons, man. I mean, they come out of nowhere. Literally, Christy and I were just kind of kicking it and outside for a little bit and uh, in the pool. And then next thing, probably about 25 minutes, half hour later after we were inside, our youngest daughter, Jordan, comes and says, hey, it's, it sounds like a potential monsoon. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We were just outside. It was beautiful out, you know, a really nice evening. And sure enough, went out there and the winds were whipping up gusts anywhere from 50 to 60 miles an hour. And then the skies opened up. The lightning was ridiculous. And for about a good half hour, they actually had wind gusts up to 87 miles an hour over there at the Phoenix airport. So uh, you never know. Monsoons hit harder there, but the desert is weird and you just don't know. And it was a lot of that weather that was coming from what was going on uh, there in Southern California down the San Diego area. But Las Vegas... You know, another desert place, so you just never know when it's going to hit. So that's why we get these warnings out there. And, you know, they're trying to be as accurate as possible. So if you're out there driving, be careful. If you don't have to drive, stay in, stay safe, and uh, we will keep you updated here at SportsX Radio. Ken Thompson, Mark Hoke. Again, uh, my good pal Chris Wierenski, Megalot's going to join me, hour number two. But, Mark, uh, real quickly, I was touching on Aaron Judge, uh, the year he's happening, having right now for the Yankees, 56 57 uh, the numbers of the home runs that he hit tonight at Fenway Park. Yankees win it 7-6 over Boston. It's phenomenal, and from what we know, it's as clean as a whistle, you know, as far as Judge. You know, we know that we all got locked in when uh, McGuire and Sosa were going head-to-head, and it was a lot of fun because we're not thinking that, you know, these guys are all roided out. We're giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then the worst was not only was Sammy Sosa busted, of course, on the steroids, but when he, I forget who he was playing, and he, and he, the bat broke. His bat broke and had a cork in the bat. So not, he had his bat <laughs> did, cork, then he's taking roids. I mean, did, come on. Did I ever tell you real, real quick about my Sammy Sosa cork story? No, tell me. So that season, of course, I'm back east, and I usually bought tickets for one Orioles game a month. Okay. So the Cubs were going to be in Camden Yards for the first time ever. I'm like, you know what? I wanna, I'm going to get tickets over in right field because I want to see Sammy. So, of course, a couple weeks before the game is when Sammy had the cork bat. So he gets the suspension. And, but of course, Camden Yards had been sold out for these games because Sosa was going to be there. But they decide to let him play one game before they started the suspension. So I'm sitting in right field. Of course, that I'm lucky. I look out, and that's the game I get to see Sammy. So all of a sudden, I think it was, it was about... Sixth inning or something like that, this dude runs out on the field, right? He's facing Sammy. Now, he's got plenty of room between them, so it wasn't a threat or anything like that. But Sammy's staring at him, and the guy takes off his shirt 
drops to his knees and starts bowing and throwing corks out of his pockets. Oh, my Lord. Now, they didn't show it on TV. I never heard but that. That is great. It was unbelievable. And I, I was surprised security <laughs> didn't tackle him, but they let him do it. This just all happened so fast. But, yeah. Yeah, dude. Shirtless, bowing, throwing corks at Sammy. Wow, that is great. See, I, the things you hear on SportsX Radio, not many other places will you hear those. Great stuff from Mark Hoka. Thanks. Avid Oriole fan. And, uh, again, host of the Mark Hoke Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. All right, uh, let's jump over. Uh, but, oh, but, but, no, but Aaron, take on but Aaron, Aaron Judge. Judge? Yeah. This is, I think, it's great for baseball. If he if he would break Maris's record, you know, it's legit, finally. And yeah. it, it's so sad when you think about what happened with Sosa and McGuire, you know, both, you know, doing the roids and things like that. It's... It's sad because I remember everybody said, oh, yeah, they say baseball. They say baseball. Of course, I remember Cal Ripken doing, you know, with the streak happening before that, which was kind of pull everybody back before that. But you see, you know, Barry Bonds, and you think about that record, and you think about the the Sosa McGuire records. And, boy, it's just you just want to throw them in the garbage can. But it's good to see somebody actually legitimately do it. But one thing, if I'm thinking about Aaron Judge is, Man, that dude's going to get paid next year, Ken. <laughs> oh, my God, he's going to get paid. You think the Yankees keep him? Well, I I would certainly hope they try. I mean, I'm sure they're going to throw some money at him, but th- this could be the most lucrative contract in baseball history. It really could. This is, I mean, the guy is a once-in-a-lifetimer, and I would love to see him banging balls out of Camden Yards. I wouldn't complain a bit. He's a He's a good guy outstanding player. He's going to fit in anywhere, and I, there, there's going to be a bidding war for that fella. There you go, and Yankee fans will say, yeah, you'll get to see him nine or ten times a year. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> then we'll beat him nine or ten times a year next year. It's all good. There you go. I'm, I'm wondering, as they get close to the playoffs, Yankees now seven and three in their last ten, playing good baseball, back to 30 games over 500. They've held that six-game lead over Toronto. Now it's staying steady right around there, so they're playing better baseball, but you get into the postseason, Mark, I am not pitching to Aaron Judge. There's just no reason for it. No. The one the one thing for the Yankees is they got a lot of guys hurt too. So they're starting to get healthy again. But yeah, I'm I'm staying away from him. I mean, I he's he's almost deserving of the bonds treatment. You know, why why let that guy hurt you? There just you go. Off to first you go, young man. Have fun. That's exactly right. I agree with you 100%. If somebody else beats me, oh, well, I'll live with it. All right, Mark Hoke, real quick, let's just jump into a couple games. we got a few minutes. Uh, let's start with your Eagles because they got off to that nice big lead, and they kind of ticked me off because one of my entries in the Westgate Super Contest, we had the Eagles minus four, 14 nothing Detroit in the fourth quarter. Probably made Chris win happy, although I'm not so sure Chris bet on Detroit. He may have had Philly in that game. 38-35, the final. I like the way Hurts played. Uh, too many incompletions, but DeAndre Swift, we said he was a pretty good running back, and he came up big, but A.J. Brown, big acquisition, 10 receptions, 155, what you're looking for from your star receiver. I knew that that was going to be a key acquisition. Not that everybody else didn't. I mean, that that's a, that's one of the things I hate hearing in sports radio, something obvious like that. But A.J. Brown is an incredible talent. He's probably the best receiver the Eagles have had there in years God, I wish he was there when Carson Wentz was around. But the uh, the Eagles look pretty good offensively. I have two concerns. Obviously, the defense just couldn't hold that Detroit Lion offense down, which is scary. But you know, I almost wonder if Hertz is running too much, and he's not the biggest guy. You know, you don't want to see him get the RG three treatment. You know, 
So they've got to figure out a way to keep him a little more protected, not run the ball so much. Yeah, and there's another team, 17 more plays than your Eagles, 74 to 57 as far as uh, total plays. But Philly was comfortably in front, sitting fat there, 38 to 21. And it looked for all intents and purposes they were going to blow them out. But uh, give Detroit credit, came back and uh, got a lot of attention on hard knocks, but they played a pretty good game. That's a good team. Got the cover, yeah. I mean, I you know, I picked them to win about seven games. And and they're they're going to be all right. They're on the rise. Chris went on to be happy. They're going that like I said, that's a team that you don't want to play. No, you just I, don't want to play that team. I agree. I think I think they're a team that you're going to get four quarters of football from that team. So the Eagles do win though. And as good as they looked, Dallas looked that bad. Ugh. Dallas. I mean, I don't. Dak Prescott got hurt. He got hurt late. But with him, they were atrocious. They scored a field goal on their first drive. That team. I don't think has many answers. I mean, Pollard, six carries for eight yards. You know, Zeke didn't look bad initially, but Dalton Schultz, to me, is the guy. CeeDee Lamb is somebody that whines and complains if he's not getting the ball enough, and he didn't go out and uh, high point any of the passes towards him as far as the targets. I think they're in a lot of trouble. I mean, you know, just based on what you see the first week, you're thinking, like, good Lord, Dallas be lucky without Prescott there the next several weeks. This team's gonna got to go out and get Jimmy G or somebody because they're going to be hard pressed to you know to win eight games this year. Their margin for error to get to the playoffs is slim, and now it is razor thin. They are going to really have trouble here because they they're probably going to take honestly. I think they're probably going to lose all these games without Dak. They're going to be in a major hole. Not that that breaks my heart, <laughs> but you know for you, for you Dallas fans out there, it's only one game, but without. But losing Dak, man, the alarm button's got to be pressed. All right, so give me a take now on your two North Dakota State guys. Let's start with Trey Lance because I thought he did not look like an NFL quarterback. 19 to 10, now less. Yeah, it was pouring rain throughout most of the game. I'll give him a mulligan. But to me, that would almost be an advantage for San Francisco. 7 nothing. they let it to half. They got it to 10 nothing, And then some kind of fluky plays there where Justin Fields improvised, came up big. But 164 in an interception, he did rush 13 times for 54 yards. We'll give him a mulligan on the uh, rain field. But your take so far on Trey Lance? I think you that that was such a miserable game, and I'm not making making excuses. But both teams just couldn't do a whole lot. I mean that that's one I think you kind of got to throw out. And in terms of doing an evaluation on a guy, I don't think that would be fair to do it. So. We'll see you. We'll see in the next couple of weeks, but hopefully, won't have to play in a monsoon. Bad news for Carson Wentz: two interceptions. The good news: four touchdowns, three hundred thirteen yards. I thought he played very well in the fourth quarter when needed. Twenty-eight, uh, twenty-two. They get the win over Jacksonville. Lawrence looked uh, better than he's looked because he finally has some weapons. Christian Kirk, one hundred seventeen yards in receptions. Zay Jones coming over, doing a nice job as well. But Antonio Gibson, really the workhorse for Washington, fifty-eight on the ground, seventy-two via the airwaves. Your leading uh, receiver, uh, Terry McLaurin, I think will be be better. But your Penn State guy, Jahan Dotson, three receptions, two of them for touchdowns. Jahan Dotson may be the best guy that Carson Wentz has had to throw to in a long time. He is a very talented receiver. Carson had the first pick was bad. The second one was one where uh, uh, Adams, uh, the linebacker, jumped in front of a ball on a screenplay and just made a really nice play. Boy, Carson fired some beautiful balls, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I overall, you'd be happy with the performance because he could have put his head down and folded, and he came out and just lit it up after that. So, 
I, if I'm Washington, I'm feeling pretty good now, especially with Dallas in trouble. And I know they're going to, they should be getting Dallas with, if I remember right, in a couple of weeks. You know, that's a good shot to win that game. And you know, maybe the Redskins and the Vikes are going to be the last two wild cards in my book. You mean the Commanders? Or, yeah. No, I don't. No, I don't mean the Commanders. No. Stupid. Yes, I mean the Commanders. All right. Uh, real quick, Miami, Tua didn't look great, but 270 and a touchdown. You'll take it if you have Miami, especially me with the win total over. Also had him in the game. Mac Jones, 213, one touchdown, one interception. But I thought this New England team just does not have the weapons that they need to be competitive in this. I know people want to tell me Belichick. Belichick's not on the field playing. 20-7, to uh, New England just did not look cohesive on offense whatsoever. Lost a couple fumbles. And, uh, you know, passing-wise, when you have a quarterback that throws for 213, you expect New England to be solid on the ground. They only had 78 yards rushing on the ground. Your take with Miami, who did it with that, and I was wondering, is, was Gasicki hurt because he had one catch for one yard? I mean, Tyree Kill, eight catches, 94 yards, Waddle, Edmonds stepping up, Cedric Wilson. I mean, they've got a ton of weapons. Still didn't really put it together. Both teams scoreless in the fourth quarter, but 20-7 to Miami will take it, and that's 4-0 now for Tua against New England. Got to be more impressed with Miami's defense and offense, which I think a lot of people are probably shaking their heads a little bit. But once again, it's a question of is Tua going to get the job done? We'll see. But but Miami's defense is going to keep them in games, and if they get that offense in sync, they'll be all right. So, yeah, I I agree with you a hundred percent. Last last take. Uh, I think we got a chance to duck in another game or two. But uh, okay, you're giving me the two minute warning, which is uh, which is okay. We'll go with that. Uh, the Colts end up tied with Houston, 20-20. to 20. I mean, they're fortunate they got the tie because they were down 20-6 fourth quarter. Hey, give Davis Mills and Houston credit. Uh, another missed field goal. How many missed field goals? Unreal. Literally between college and pro football from Saturday af- afternoon, late afternoon through Sunday, seven straight field goals could have won me bets. All seven of them won against me. Jesus, Ken. It was unbelievable. Wow. Three, three of them in the BYU game. Ooh. Un- unreal. Because I had uh, Baylor plus three and a half and had three chances to win that game and then I've been losing by six in double overtime. But I'm, I'm going to kicker camp. I'm going to get myself back in shape and go to kicker camp. There you go. Uh, what about what about the Colts? And, and what about Houston? Lovey Smith getting a tie. He'll take it first game. I'm not impressed by either team, but Houston played a little bit better than I thought they would, and the Colts didn't play as well as they should have. That division is the worst in football. I mean, amazingly enough, they were playing Washington, the Giants, and each other, and nobody got a win. That's, that's not good. Last minute, and we'll try and duck some in before we get out of here in the second hour. But the Steelers found a way to win at Cincinnati. T.J. Watt going to be out at about six weeks with that pectoral tear. Uh, but still, I thought Pittsburgh played a solid game defensively. Joe Burrow on his wallet all day. He threw for 338-2. and two, But Pittsburgh seemed the better team throughout the game. Well, I, I'm not sure about that. I, I think Burrow played a terrible game. The new offensive line for, for Cincinnati is still trying to gel a little bit. But the but, – if you're Pittsburgh, you've got to be saying, how do we not blow these guys out with a game like that? I, I think Cincinnati's going to be fine. If it weren't for losing their long snapper, that game's over. So I'm not worried about the Bengals, and I still think Pittsburgh's not a good team. So All right, we'll see how it pans out. I think Tomlin's defense is good enough, and Fitzpatrick leads the way. Hour number one in the books, Ken Thompson, Mark Hoke. We're coming back. Hour number two, SportsX Radio. Megalox will join me. Miss any part of the show, archives up by 11 o'clock. I'm Ken Thompson, live from Vegas. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back from halftime. It's just after 9 o'clock in the big city. Time to continue America's favorite Las Vegas sports show. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rappaputi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada-style pub with three locations. One on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the Strip. Steiner's Pub. We love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center. Book your non-invasive scan today for peace of mind. Visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. Laborers Union 872, the builders of Allegiant Stadium and the Las Vegas Ballpark, home of the Aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a 10% discount on your promotion items order. Promodirect.com. And by William Hill Racing Sportsbook, America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit WilliamHill.us. So get ready because Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. now. All right, KT, hour number two on a Fat Tuesday. Uh, PSBR Law Studios in Las Vegas. Megalox, Chris Warinsky joins me in a couple minutes to talk some college football. So to sum it up, and, and uh, hopefully Mark and I will have a few minutes there in the final segment. Uh, to get back as far as the NFL. But teams I was most impressed with, uh, Philly's offense was pretty good. And again, Detroit is Detroit, uh, but they're a different Detroit, I think. But we'll wait and see how things pan out. But the Vikings, very solid on the defensive side of the ball. And Justin Jefferson, outstanding. And uh, Dalvin Cook, pretty good. Cousins didn't turn it over. That is key. So they looked good. Uh, move on down. The Bills, extremely solid in the opening Thursday game, especially in the second half, shut the Rams out. Uh, right there, it lets you know that Kansas City and Buffalo would be another dynamite game. Look, maybe I underestimated Oma Holmes again. They looked that good, but Arizona looked that weak. Uh, so I'm not giving it to Kansas City yet. Yes, they did look impressive, but I'm not sold on Arizona's defense. Remember, they don't have Chandler Jones anymore, and they didn't have much of a pass rush. We will see what type of game Arizona gives the Raiders here, and the Raiders better take care of business on my birthday on Sunday. Remember, there's a couple Raiders that are rookies that also share that same birthday this Sunday, and that will be Thayer Munford, uh, the rookie out of Ohio State, and Zamir White, the rookie running back out of Georgia. Both of those guys also September 18th, like KT. So uh, we'll all be there at Legion Stadium, and hopefully the Raiders will come up big over the Redbirds. Uh, real quick before I talk, college football was also very impressed with, uh, well, Kansas City, I mentioned, Buffalo, and Tampa Bay. Got to give Tampa Bay's defense a lot of credit. And Leonard Fournette was outstanding. And, again, they do have Julio Jones. Now, Julio Jones hasn't made it through a season unscathed in a long time. But if he stays healthy, you know, you got guys like Mike Evans. Now, Godwin's banged up already, so that didn't look good either. I think he's going to miss some serious time. But Devin White was solid. Winfield's outstanding in the secondary. And Levante David, that guy's like Mark Hoke's age, and he's still out there running around like a kid. So they were impressive. I'm ticked off that the Falcons lost to the Saints. I made money on the game, but at the end of the day, the Saints should have won that game up 16 in the fourth quarter and let it get away. 
and uh, lose it by a point. It's unacceptable. Marcus Mariota played well, but he fumbled inside a uh, key juncture when they could have got some points and put that game away. So uh, that hurt. Uh, other than that, nobody else really that impressive. Again, Miami's defense, as uh, Mark mentioned, uh, the Chargers were good enough. But again, only seven points by the Chargers in the second half. Not going to get it done uh, with Herbert. They should be scoring more points. Uh, but the Raiders' defense, I gave them credit for the second half performance. So uh, that in itself uh, again, it's only game one, and a lot of these starters did not play during the preseason, and they did look rusty. So we'll see what happens in week number two. Before we get with Chris, uh, I want to update that the Westgate Super Contest back and better than ever. So if you didn't get in that Super Contest, well, we'll keep track on KT's two entries. And uh, we got Jethro Tull and Jethro Bodine, one, one, three, and two. The other two and three, and that one that went two and three was two and oh. And then, my goodness, had Dallas, had the Broncos, uh, and I can't remember the uh, the fifth one. Uh, lost on the Eagles on the other entry, which could have been four and one. The Eagles were minus four and end up winning by three. So keep tabs on those two. You can follow them there in the standings at the Westgate Super Contest. And again, tomorrow night it'll be Art to Caesar. Art Dice will join me, uh, supervisor from the Superbook. Also, Mark Lawrence will be back in the first segment, and then hour number two, my good pal Chuck Hayes, and he covers the Chargers, the Rams, USC, and UCLA. So lots to talk about on that front, including that Chargers game coming up Thursday in Kansas City. And the Chargers are the one team in the AFC West that really play KC tough almost every time out. So they are not intimidated, and uh, Herbert really gives them. You know, that thumbs up, uh, you feel like they can beat Kansas City no matter where the game's at. But they did lose Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen's going to miss some time, and that is a major blow because Mike Williams, where was he? Two catches for 10 yards. He better step up big time in Keenan Allen's absence, or Kansas City will blow them out the water as well. We'll wait and see what Bosa and Khalil Mack have for Pat Mahomes. They can get that same pressure they got on Derek Carr. I think Kansas City, though, will combat it differently because they do get Mahomes outside the pocket, outside that tackle box, and uh, give him that run-pass option. All right, time to talk some college football. My good pal Chris Warinsky is north of the border. He's in Ontario. This guy's got passion big time. At Megalox, or I'm sorry, megalox.co, .co, you can check it out. He uh, previewed all, 131 uh, as far as the teams in college football. Uh, he handicaps. He's got his own plays. He does a great job. He doesn't really listen to anybody but himself, and uh, that's the way to do it. I mean, he kind of hibernates up there, and uh, nobody is really paying much attention. They're following the CFL, and uh, they're waiting for Maple Leafs camp to open up. And so Chris Wierenski quietly goes about making some money and uh, staying you know, under the radar over there north of the border. How you doing, Megalox? I'm doing pretty good, KT. I don't know if I'm uh, man enough to make it through the entire season. That last week was absolutely crazy with all those upsets and near upsets and overtime games. Seemingly uh, every third or fourth game went into overtime. So <laughs> it's uh, it's already it's not even week three yet, and it's been pretty exciting so far. Yeah, and so I always do some you know some parlays and you know just to have fun and on the account and stuff. So I had the one at a fifty dollar. Four team, or let me see, was it four teamer? Yeah, four teamer, and three of them were in. And all I needed was Tulsa minus six at home, and they're up twenty-four to seven at halftime over Northern Illinois. So I'm figuring, okay, I got that one. I don't hedge back. Northern Illinois scores a touchdown on their first three possessions in the second half. 
Tulsa gets back up but, uh, and ends up winning the game, but they do not cover. So that was a crushing one. But then I had a four-teamer, and I had a really good number because I used the cards over at uh, one of the properties here, and I had Baylor plus three and a half. That was the last leg of the four-teamer. So I'm thinking, I'm watching the game, and you know, I did play BYU on the money line to hedge back, and I said, okay, be perfect. If BYU can win by one, two, or three, I'm going to win BYU straight up, and I'm going to win the 14 parlay with Baylor being the last leg. And three times inside that final minute, I had the kicks to, to win the game. And the kicker for Bay, uh, BYU, one of the better kickers in the country, misses two chip shots. If he makes one of those, or if Baylor ends the uh, first overtime, makes the field goal, game's over. And I'm going I'm oh. to win. Yeah, I'm going to win the four-teamer. And I cannot get it. Then BYU scores the six, but you have to go for two in that second overtime. They don't get it. So I'm like, okay, Baylor needs to score. Baylor gets down to the four-yard line. It's first and goal. And they stop running the football and getting, they start getting cute. And then they ran out of downs. They end up losing. They got a penalty and that set it back. And they end up not covering. They lose 26 20. So that was one of those where you look and go, my goodness, just extra money snatched from the jaws of defeat. And that's, what, that's what's tough on, yeah. on the, uh, you know, sometimes you think you have things, you know, you start looking at worst case scenario. But with the overtime now in college, you can't just say, okay, the game's into overtime. I'm good because I'm plus seven and a half because it can come into play that you lose by eight early in that second overtime. Yeah, and you know what's even more disgusting now is that two is almost a key number now because there's a lot of games that end on two. So you think, okay, I got a team minus three, worst case scenario, I push. It's like, uh uh, uh. <laughs> right? That's exactly right. That's right. Once they get to that third overtime, after that, you're, you're going for safeties. And so the most you're yeah. going to be able to win by is two, or so you would think. And so I got to check. With, I, yeah, I've got to <laughs> check with you because you had the 13 point overtime game, and to me, again, this is this is the Kansas game. The Kansas win at West Virginia, yep. they get their touchdown, an extra point, and then they get the pick six and take it to the house. They win it 55 42. Jacoby Bryant with that pick six, and I thought that was disallowed based on the USC Arizona State game. I think that was the last time I remember seeing that. And I, so I thought that once that possession changed and the team had already scored in overtime, that it's just kind of waved off. What was the ruling there? Is that back to where you can win by 13? Yeah, I think you, I think you can. That's a, a, a great question because I was wondering the same – I was wondering the exact same thing. Um, so I think they might have reverted the – reverted the rule back um but i haven't actually i didn't manage to find i haven't managed to find yet a clear answer on that but i think obviously the smart thing to do was you know you, you pick it off and you just go to a knee and then it's over right because i mean theoretically you could chase them down you could fumble it i mean that's not going to happen but you know what i'm saying um so that was just strange to see a, a team win by 13 in overtime but um you've pretty much seen everything this year and uh, shout out to temple's devon fox he blocked three punts by in one game <laughs> So, I don't know. We've seen a lot of crazy stuff already. And like I said, it's not even week three. Yeah, no doubt. And Kansas will go to Houston and play uh, Holgerson's team. How about Derek Parrott? All right, we are back and uh, blindsided again by the old uh, weather. But you heard that it's going till 12.15 a.m. So, we're at 9.19. So, be careful again out there, especially once you hear the areas and uh, trust me, I've driven into a monsoon recently, and it's, uh, it's not fun. So you've got to really stay on top of the weather. And sometimes 
we drown ourselves in our own little MP3 music or, you know, podcasts or whatever. So we're not hearing those warnings. And that's the good thing. KDWN will always keep you updated on uh, potential, uh, you know, inclement weather. And right now we've got it going on in the Vegas Valley from Arizona, you know, throughout uh, southern Nevada. So we'll keep an eye there. Ken Thompson, Chris Wierenski, Megalox talking some college football. Mark Hoke producing the show, doing a great job in a great mood as Orioles won tonight 4-3. to three. So he's a happy camper. They're still alive in that wild card chase. Uh, Houston, though, uh, Megs, I was uh, referring to their tough loss against Texas Tech. Played a good game. How about Derek Parrish on defense? Ten tackles, eight of them solo, four sacks, and six tackles for loss. I mean, that's a that's a hell of a game. And you lose. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite the game. I had uh, Tech minus three. Thankfully, I got the before it went to minus four. Um, and it was kind of like you know they got off to that hot start, seventeen three. You know, and then a pick six ties the game. Then it was just uh, then it looked like Houston, you know, was going to win the game and kick a long field goal overtime. And well, you know how it ended up. It was uh, that was just another one of the crazy games of the of the week that could have gone either way. There you go, and that's why a lot of times on the parlays for you folks out there. We'll go to the sports books and we'll go to the cards. So you can do parlays off the board. And sometimes that will be advantageous if the game you like, the line is moved against you, the play that you want. But sometimes you're going to get some stale lines. So that came into play. Texas Tech was minus three in several of the sports books around town on the cards. And on those cards, it was ties win. So it's basically got you where you're minus two and a half. So as the game ended 33-30, Texas Tech, if you had, you know, uh, plus the three, then you come uh, come out okay. Uh, Either way, you come out okay on that. So ties win. And so when you get a push, that's giving you that extra half-point advantage. But Kansas goes to Houston. That's going to be fun because Jalen Daniels comes off a nice game. Uh, Rich Miller, the senior linebacker. Uh, big-time defensive game. And then uh, Heshawn Neal on the ground, 105, four touchdowns versus West Virginia. Uh, Grimm and Skinner, very solid job receiving the ball. And uh, Jacoby Bryant had that pick six for Kansas. Now for Houston, Clayton Toon has looked okay, but not great. And yeah, it's a little bit concerning there with the way that he's played. It's been inconsistent. Now Nathaniel Dell has been his go-to guy. Had seven receptions for 120 in the loss to Tech. Uh, what's your take there, Houston and Holgerson at home against Kansas? Uh, I have not even looked at that line, but I would think it's probably a hefty line. Kansas off to a 2-0 and start for the first time in forever. And, you know, yeah. if I'm a Jayhawks fan, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, well, like uh, like Vanderbilt, um, I have a Kansas over two-and-a-half season win total, so I've got the champagne on ice, and as long as they don't lose 10 games in a row, I'm good. Um Lance Leopold, how great, like he's just done such a great job like he did with Buffalo. Um, uh, yeah, and I think they're a 10-point dog. Yep. I mean, they're, they're, they play, I mean, they're, they're really, you know, they're, they're dangerous on offense. They're playing as, as well as they can on defense given the talent that they have. So I haven't been a big, like I have, we talked about it last week. I'm not, Houston's kind of limited at, well, they're very limited at running back and they have one elite wide receiver. The defense is very good, but it's not excellent. So I, I definitely see Houston dropping a couple games this year. All right. So I had Texas. I had Texas plus 20 and a half, and then I saw it go to 21. And I'm like, gosh, dang it, man. I thought it would go back to 20, but it didn't. And then Quinn Ewers looked not like a freshman. I mean, very, very solid, very composed, uh, you know, just missing 
on a couple, you know, big time attempts, but still nine of 12 for 134 yards. And I felt good with Robinson in the backfield running hard. But Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington to me were both open uh, and, and especially Worthy. They couldn't stay with him. And so I go, Texas has a shot in this game. But I'm like, always leery of Bam. I'm like, waiting for them to step up. And of course, all we've heard about. You know, was Will Anderson Jr. that this guy is up there and is one of the favorites for the Heisman, and he's on defense, of course, and he comes off just a phenomenal year last year. And so when I when I looked at the game, I was like, ah, don't get too happy. You know, Alabama is going to come back, but Anderson lined up in the neutral zone. I think two successive plays, and then he was offsides on another play, and I was like, wow, this guy's head's not in the game. And, and he had a I, personal foul, I think, even as well. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, this and Bama's piling up penalties. And I just never got the feeling that the Bama receiving core was that dangerous. I mean, Jameer Gibbs, the, the uh, running back from Georgia Tech, he had nine carries for 22, but he had nine receptions for 74 and a touchdown. That was it. They had nobody else over 39 yards receiving. And they had Cameron Latu back, one of the better tight ends. Now, he had four receptions for 28. Bryce Young, single-handedly, to me, won that game. McClellan wasn't bad in the backfield, had 97 yards, and he came up big uh, because Gibbs had trouble running it. But Bryce Young, when he ducked that potential sack, because that corner that came off the edge there, if oh, he yeah, gets that the— was- that if was he the gets play of the weekend, that's really. it. If he gets the sack on Bryce Young, that's it. Alabama's going to lose that game. Instead, Young's able to uh, get just low enough to where you know he was able to shake off that tackle and then gain twenty yards on that particular play. And Alabama ends up winning twenty to nineteen. You knew the writing was going to be on the wall once that play was made. Uh, but I was very impressed with Texas. And I know Sark said, "Hey, we can't be too high. We still lost the game, uh, but you know we have to make sure that." You know, we take care of business. They've got uh, UTSA, I guess, coming in, right? Or, or no, Baylor's got UTSA. Who do they have? Texas State. Uh, I'm trying to trying to remember which is which. I know both of, but nonetheless, well, I was Baylor's. Impre- uh, Baylor's got Texas State. Okay, so then uh, Texas has UTSA coming into Austin. Yep. Look, look, if Texas plays the way they played that game, and it's hard to get up for a UTSA the same way you're up for Alabama. But nonetheless, if, if I'm Longhorn Nation, with the way that Sark had them prepared for that game, they looked like the better team. After the first quarter, they were definitely the better team. And uh, trail that first, you know, that first quarter, 10-3. to 3, And let's remember, uh, that big run, uh, that was an 81-yard run by McClellan. He finished with 97 yards, but the other five carries only netted 16. So it was that big 81-yard run. And that was really, you know, Bama's offense. You look at Alabama, they only had 374 yards total. They had 81 on that one play. And then, you know, Bryce Young, again, with that uh, escapability, uh, which he's phenomenal. There's a reason the guy won the Heisman Trophy. But I was impressed with Texas. I was very unimpressed with Alabama. What's your take on Bama going forward? Yeah, well, I mean, there's. <laughs> I guess the good news is there's lots to work on. Um, so they're going to be pretty uh, – the practices are going to be even more intense than usual. I, I just – I don't – there hasn't been a number one wide receiver, obviously, emerge yet. Um, the running game, like you said, outside of one play, it was it – was, it was it wasn't very good at all. Um, there was a stretch between the second and third quarter where they had six drives and that totaled about twenty yards, I think. Uh, so I mean, they were undisciplined. That can be fixed up. 
But I just the problem is if they're not really explosive on offense, then what that does is I think it just it just opens them up to more potential upsets down the road because when you got those lower scoring games, just so much more variance comes into play. So I mean, I'm not super worried about them, but they certainly looked way more vulnerable uh, than I thought they would. Yeah. So if you take out that 20 yard run by Bryce Young, the one where he ducks the sack again, should have been a sack, but it wasn't. Again, give him credit. He finishes. Yep. So the other six carries he had. He nets 18 yards, okay, three yards a carry. Jace McClellan, like I said, 81-yard touchdown run. The other five carries net him 16 yards. Okay, so not bad there, but still. Uh, then you had Roy Dell Williams, two carries for four. And Jameer Gibbs, nine carries for 22. They were three. And he was also their leading receiver, Jameer Gibbs. Right, right, I said that, yeah. But still, <laughs> also, but, yeah. Yeah, but still that's on, three yards per carry rushing for Alabama if you take out the two plays by McClellan and Young. So, again, you, you have to count those because they did happen. I get that. But I'm just saying that's how close Texas was to really shutting down Alabama and making that offense look pedestrian. And, you know, again, Bryce Young only threw for 213 and a touchdown. He didn't have an interception, but his QBR rating was only 79.1. And that's not like a Heisman candidate on what's supposed to be this this team that's the biggest favorite out of the gate to win a national championship or, or go unscathed through the regular season than anybody. Uh, they were, I mean, minuscule as far as to win. And, and so folks that bet on Alabama to win it all right now, they're going like, oh, my God. But then Ohio State <laughs> yeah. was another team that everybody had ticketed, you know, to be that other team. And they have looked anything but impressive. Now, uh, Smith and Jigba looks like he's cleared and ready to go. Uh, so they should be at full strength. Fleming as well on the receiving court for Ohio State. They'll be all throttles go against Toledo. Uh, but out of the gate, it lets us know that, you know what, there's more teams that could be involved in this national title hunt than we thought. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting is that last year we saw – you know, some unexpected uh, conference winners, you know, for instance, you had, you know, Pitt, uh, Utah, you had Cincinnati um, get into the playoff. But what this year, what you might happen, you might actually have, you know, some actually bigger, <laughs> bigger uh, upsets happen. You might see a, a quite a different playoff this year. If, if, uh, if the first couple of weeks are any indication, it looks like I mean, the only team that hasn't looked vulnerable, and it's only because they've only played one tough game is Georgia, right? But I mean, there's lots of... Uh, there's just so much football left, Ken. It's just hard to see anyone really outside of uh, maybe Georgia going undefeated at this point. Yeah, and you know what? And we talk about that. And look, Georgia beat Samford 33 nothing, And so you say, okay, you know, they were in between the hedges. They, they just, you know, roughed up on a small team. But it was only 3 nothing in the second half. And I don't even care uh-huh. if uh, Georgia, even, you know, if, the way that we expect them to dominate. Okay, so the defense stepped up nicely. And 128 yards is all that Sanford got. But Georgia on the ground, 32 carries for 127 yards. That is not impressive. What is impressive is Stetson Bennett. The guy keeps doing what he's supposed to do. Threw for 300, one touchdown, no interceptions. This guy just doesn't get the respect. Maybe he doesn't look the part. Maybe they just feel like he's not. But he has been everything and then some that they've needed. So we'll see how Georgia goes forward. And again, until they're pushed, and I think they could be pushed. They really could have been pushed this weekend if South Carolina doesn't lose two starters on defense. Now, that said, because of the atmosphere there, I have a feeling South Carolina will be in the game with Georgia. 
and you know people can say what they want, but it is still 18 to 23-year-old kids for the most part. And look, Spencer Rattler's still a big-time quarterback. Uh, you know, he's got that potential. Now he's, you know, blown up on a big stage, as we saw in the Red River game last year, and he ended up losing his starting job there at Oklahoma. But he's still good enough. And even though they lost Strachan and Kaba on the defensive side of the ball, two guys that had 18 tackles between them the first couple games, they still have enough. They have some players. And Georgia's going to have to get more from Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh and some receivers to step up. I just have a feeling that South Carolina, if they can hang in there and run the ball, that's been their problem. They've had trouble running the football. If they can do that with McDowell and Lloyd on the ground, uh, you know, they, they may be able to hang in. What's your take as far as Georgia at South Carolina? Can Beamer get them set? Well, um, I, I I think, like you said, losing a couple defensive starters is not great. The one thing I will say about the South Carolina game is I think the line's like it's over 24 now, and I, no matter how much crazy mass I do, <laughs> um, I can't get to 24. I mean, I can get to maybe 18. Uh, so I think the line's inflated um, for what it's worth, at least in my opinion. But I think South Carolina, they're just not strong enough on the offensive and defensive line, and I just think – I don't know. I think they're going to have a hard time scoring more than 14 points. And Georgia is kind of morphing into sort of what Alabama did quite a while ago is they're morphing into more of an explosive passing attack as opposed to the run. So I hear what you're saying about the running game, but they're also, they've got a really good point guard, so to speak now at quarterback. Um, So they're they're going to, they're going to score on South Carolina. So maybe you get some Beamer ball special teams and, you know, the crowd will definitely be into the game early, but I'm, I don't know. I, I think that I think George is going to win that game quite comfortably. All right, I'm thinking Spencer Rattler could be not the a hot key. take, but yeah, no, well, no, and, and Brad Powers will agree with you. I'm telling you, I, I know quite frankly because he has power rated Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia head and shoulders way above everybody. And Clemson was that other team that he had uh, that was probably his 14 playoff right there, which I get, and that's you know a lot of the sharp guys that was their 14. Now I don't know as you go back what you want to look at, but he also liked Utah a lot, and they ended up coming up short against Florida in a game that they should have won down the stretch. Worst case scenario, been in overtime. Uh, but we'll see because that's that's the one thing. There's atmospheres because going into the game in Texas, especially with Sarkeesian coming out and say, hey, don't judge our Texas program by this game coming up against Alabama because we feel like we're going in the right direction. Well, after that game, I'm feeling like you're for sure going in the right direction if you can shut Alabama down the way you did at home. And the crowd was into it the whole way, and Alabama was very fortunate to win. You could see Saban stressing over there. Uh, They found a way to win like they do a lot of the times, but I was very impressed with Texas. I'm hoping to be that impressed with South Carolina after their game, but they need to get Rattler off to a good start. He's going to have to make plays. Uh, big time, not turn the ball over and come up big and get some production out of the running game. And that means little screen passes. Guys are going to have to make plays. And, you know, the defense is going to have to step up. They've got some good ones, Birch and Pickens, uh, Emin Worry. Those guys pretty good. Uh, so we'll see if South Carolina can hang in there with Georgia. Meanwhile, USC, I had them against Stanford. Now, when that line came out, I took it right away. Unlike Brad Powers, I'm not as good as Brad on closing line value, but I took <laughs> USC minus 10.5, and, and people were like, KT, come on, man. Stop looking through the USC glasses. You know, it's Lincoln Riley, man. It's a, it, This isn't Oklahoma. I said, I know, but I said, Stanford, 
I just don't see that they have the horses offensively to stay with USC. Now, Stanford got 14-0 by the way points in the fourth quarter. But USC jumped on them, and USC kind of, you know, got a little lethargic offensively. They didn't even score in the fourth quarter. 41-28, to it was 41-14. to But Caleb Williams is solid. Die had over 100 yards and a touchdown. And Addison, the transfer, seven receptions, 172 and a couple touchdowns. And then you have, you know, uh, the other Williams, like Mario Williams coming over uh, as well from, you know, Oklahoma. Very, very solid receiving core for Southern Cal. And, you know, I mean, I'm talking about guys like Jerry Rice's kid, Brendan Rice. One reception for 20. Gary Bryant Jr., who had a ton against Rice, had one reception for eight yards. USC's got that many guys on offense that they can switch it around. Now they got to hope Caleb Williams stays healthy. He threw for 341 and four touchdowns in three quarters. Uh, Tanner McKee struggled a little bit. But what's your take on USC? It's only a couple games against Rice and Stanford. But still, like I said, SC's defense has to play okay because they're going to be able to outscore just about everybody on their schedule outside of Utah maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I will say, though, is that Stanford, they shot themselves in the foot so many times. I think E.J. Smith just fumbled again while we were <laughs> while we were uh, talking there. So, I mean, USC still, I mean, they played Rice and Stanford. Um, that's fine. But, I mean, when I think teams, particularly like Utah, that can just pound and just keep the ball away from them, I think at some point, I mean, that, that might be a problem. There's not too many teams on their schedule that can do that. Maybe Oregon State to a lesser extent, but... Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I mean USC is, is supremely talented on the offensive side of the ball, but I still worry quite a bit about their defense. Um, but they're one of the, obviously the most, one of the most exciting teams to watch, so there's no reason why they can't make a run for the Pac-12. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, Stanford on the ground. You talk about E.J. Smith had a couple fumbles. He had 19 carries for 88 yards, and Philkins had 16 for 77. Uh, Urasik had one carry for 50 yards. So, yeah, they put up 221 on the ground on Southern Cal. Uh, a lot of it, though, garbage time in the fourth quarter. But you're right; those fumbles uh, by EJ Smith uh, at the wrong yeah, time. One was down near the goal line, yep. and he fumbled again. Or I think around midfield after a big play, and uh, there was a, a touchdown. I thought, it, at least I thought, it was a touchdown that they called back on Stanford, and then the next play was an interception. So I mean, there was quite a bit that went right for USC. Not to take anything away from them, because they, like you said, it was a, the game was like over heading into the fourth quarter. But Stanford's offense actually su- surprised me how. I mean, I knew it would be improved, but I thought it looked pretty good. Yeah, no, no, there's no questions. And if you're right. If there's any uh, deception there as far as a, a game, a box score, you know, 41-28, you look at it, it, the game was still there for the taking when those uh, turnovers by Smith were occurring and the touchdown get called back. I agree with you there. A couple interceptions by McKee as well. Uh, and you talked about one after a potential big play. And uh, so that came into play. Meanwhile, uh, Scott Frost, we knew it was uh, potentially going to be tough for him uh, if he lost to Oklahoma in the game coming up against Lincoln. But they didn't wait till then because he lost to Georgia Southern. Now, I took Georgia Southern plus 22 and a half points. I just said, you know what? They struggled at home with North Dakota. North Dakota's a decent FCS team. But Nebraska, to me, doesn't look like they're going to beat anybody by 23 points. I saw the way they let Northwestern come back when they had that 11-point lead in Dublin. And so I, I had tweeted out, and I was joking, and I was you know not joking, but I was serious. Like, if Georgia, if Georgia Southern knocks off, I think I said Georgia State, if Georgia Southern knocks off Nebraska in Lincoln, he's done. And sure enough, shortly after, and they were chanting for it, Clay Helton, former USC coach, now the coach of Georgia Southern, goes in and knocks off Nebraska. They'll switch uh, to Mickey Joseph as interim coach. 
Casey Thompson, not a bad game, but Nebraska going to play Oklahoma in Lincoln. Dylan Gabriel and company coming in. Your take, Nebraska and the Scott Frost debacle with one of their own. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, yeah, it certainly was uh... – it was a debacle. It's uh, it's a shame it didn't work out because those fans certainly deserve better. But what's really interesting is that I could have waited um, till October first, I think it was, and the buyout would have been cut in half. Um, so I think they they basically said, you know what, an extra seven mil. Someone said an extra seven mil. We just got to get them out of here, especially like you said, once you lose to Georgia Southern. Um, I think they can get a shot in the arm. I don't. The the thing I think they've got their offense actually is is pretty good, obviously. Um, but I, their defense is just is a disaster. So I think from a betting standpoint for this game, the only way I would probably play it is if you could get seven or better uh, for first half for Nebraska. Because I think if they you know if they're going to play well in this game, it's going to be fired up and it's going to be early. Um, Oklahoma was was pathetic against Kent State in the first half uh, last week, and they were lucky to even score a point and they scored a touchdown. I think in the last minute. Um, so I think the only way I would play that game, Ken, would be maybe bank on Nebraska getting off to a hot start. But I think their defense eventually is just going to get smoked. You're right, and that is a great point, Chris Warinsky. 642 yards total yards they gave up to Georgia Southern, and they had zero sacks. That just shows me something right there. If you can't get pressure on a team from one of the other conferences that's not Power 5 and you're at home, and you know, and your coach knows his job's on the line. There's something wrong there. That just means. Yeah, you don't. And what was really um, interesting was that I when I, wa- I I watched the the game over again, and it's funny because the the quarterback Kyle Van Treese, if you mm-hmm. remember, he was a game manager at Buffalo, yep. and they basically it, they just ran, ran, ran the ball. Right, they had a you know a stable of basically mm-hmm. NFL running backs there. Um, but he, he just diced them up like nobody's business. Like they've got that offense just clicking and it's only like week two. Um, so Georgia Southern, I mean, they're not a great team, but that offense, um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's been pretty impressive so far. Yeah, no doubt about it. Gerald Green, Jalen White, 217 and four touchdowns on the ground out of the backfield and Van Trees threw for 409, a touchdown, did have a couple interceptions. He also rushed for a touchdown and, uh, they'll take on UAB coming up and Dylan Hopkins and the guys, uh, who come off the, uh, uh, 21-14 lost to Liberty, and uh, that was uh, one that UAB was not expecting. They, they thought they were going to win that game. Appalachian State surprising Texas A&M, and it's great to watch Jimbo Fisher going, oh, we're going to reassess uh, everything over here now at College Station. Yeah, well, reassess your offense because Texas A&M, to me, uh, they let Calzada, who filled in for King when he went down, they let him go, and he transferred out. And I'm not sold they have a quarterback. Uh, Haynes King is that guy. You got the transfer from LSU, Max Johnson over there. Achain's not a bad running back. Uh, but they had four fumbles. They lost a couple of them. They only had one sack against App State. And uh, how about a total of 186 yards on offense at College Station? You got to be kidding me. I mean, that's pathetic. App State off yep. the heartbreak, 63-61 loss at home to North Carolina. They have to turn around, get ready after that, the way the game ended in Boone, and go to College Station and come up with a 17-14 win. And their reward for that is they get game day against Troy in Boone, North Carolina. 
Yeah, that's. Um, I saw a pretty cool video too about how uh, when Appalachian State, when the when the when the clock struck zero, how all the all the people in downtown Boone were just <laughs> everyone was just running in the streets and just celebrating and jumping on cars and traffic. <laughs> it was it was a, it was a pretty uh, interesting uh, interesting video, and that's what college football is kind of all about. But yeah, I mean to hold the ball for 41 minutes against Texas A&M on the road. I mean that was just that was that was a that was really really awful uh, performance and. It's not fixable. I think you know we've talked about Texas A and M. I just think it's just they're they're kind of overrated coming into the season, and I mean they can't. It's I don't think their offense is fixable this year. I mean I think maybe moving to Max Johnson might give him a bit, bit of a spark. I mean he's he you know he's a proven vet uh, proven veteran, um, but I just don't I just don't think that offense is fixable. And the defense they couldn't get off the field against Appalachian State. So I mean they got enough raw talent to get you know maybe eight. Maybe nine wins can, but I mean, I, I don't see them as a contender in the West. All right, so Stroud uh, got it together: three fifty-one, four touchdowns in the forty-five twelve win. Not a cover at home in the horseshoe against Arkansas State. They'll stay in the horseshoe. It's unreal. I mean, one of the things I do not like about college football, I do not like that bigger teams with bigger budgets are able to buy out smaller teams and open up their schedule with every freaking game at home. I don't care if it's Wisconsin, Ohio State. I mean, you see it time and time again. Ohio State will play their third straight game at the Horseshoe with Toledo coming in this week. Now, Smith and Jigba is back. Harrison Jr., seven receptions, 184 and three touchdowns. When they get those two going together, that's when we're going to see Offensive highlights like we saw in the Rose Bowl against Utah last year, especially when Travion Henderson uh, is running for 87 yards and a couple of touchdowns. That's when you have, you know, pick your poison there. Uh, Toledo's still a pretty decent squad overall uh, to give as many points as Ohio State's giving this week. But it uh, looked like Ohio State got their wake-up call. It is Arkansas State. I know Butch Jones is there. But at the end of the day, Ohio State, uh, you know, still looking like that team can gel into an offensive juggernaut again. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. We talked about that uh, as well last week. How, I mean, they obviously they didn't look very good against Notre Dame, who uh, obviously we can talk about them too. They, uh, they're not, uh, they're probably a bit worse than we all thought. Um, but I, they look to me like a team that's just going to just keep getting better. Um, and that sounds obvious, but I mean, the offense I think is just it's going to resemble last year um, as the longer the season goes along, and the defense is obviously uh, improved. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm still very high on Ohio State. I think uh, they're still a, you know, obviously a clear top three team. All right. So I was fortunate to get a win and a cover with Tennessee over Pitt. Uh, I was very uh, – I, I was okay with uh, Arkansas. They got the cover uh, for me against South Carolina. I had to hold on there. Uh, Kentucky impressed me. Uh, again, 26-16. They came up with the big pick six. They came back from eight points down and took care of business at Florida. Florida off the win against Utah. Uh, Levis, not a great game, but good enough. Cavassier smoke okay. And they do get Chris Rodriguez back on October the 1st. Their next two games should be rather easy. Uh, so this Kentucky team should be 4-0 and when they get Rodriguez back. And, and we know how good a running back he is, and he's going to be fresh this Kentucky team's dangerous. They're one of those teams, blue collar, but they have enough good players in all facets from special teams, defense, offense to make things happen and stay in all types of games. 
Yeah, they, um, I mean, I, I, I wasn't on that game last week either way, but um, I have to admit, if anything, I thought Florida was going to was gonna win the game. Um, and so Kentucky surprised me yet again. I didn't think they'd be able to cobble together enough offense um, without Rodriguez. I mean, the ground game still didn't do much, um, but their defense is very stingy. They had a great game plan, and it's just really hard the way they play defense. It's really hard to have explosive plays, and they um, basically suckered Richardson into making a, a poor throw. He was kind of on the wrong page with his receiver. It's hard to say whose fault it was, uh, but nonetheless, like Kentucky is just one of those teams that I just... <laughs> It's just hard. To, it just it's hard to get your head around how good they are, but they just they just overachieve, and then it's it's just great to see. Actually, it gives them a um, it gives them the, a clear shot at being the second best team in the uh, SEC East. Although I, I still prefer Tennessee, but it's uh, Kentucky just keeps proving me wrong, Ken. Yeah, me too. I'm with you, and that was the one that Brad Powers got me on head to head last week. I took a shot at the Gators. Uh, if yeah. I'm if I'm a Wisconsin fan, I'm thoroughly disgusted because you hold Wazoo to 53 yards on the ground, 200 yards via the airwaves, but you lose the game 17-14 because you don't score in the second half in Madison. That is just unacceptable. Paul Christ has to take some fault there. Look, I know Braylon Allen's a pretty good running back. Maluzzi's not bad. Uh, but Graham Mertz, you know, threw two touchdowns, threw for 227, but that's the best you're getting out of him. I don't know if there's any big-time threat on the receiving core. Cundiff's not bad. Lewis is okay. Uh, DK uh, has his moments. But really, this Wisconsin team has underachieved the last year and a half. And uh, that's, a, I mean, a nice way for Wazoo to find a way to win in Madison. But that's a major blow to Wisconsin to their program. Yeah, it is. I mean, that game surprised me more than um... – Certainly, more. It actually surprised me more than Marshall beating Notre Dame. I mean, I could, I was really surprised that Wisconsin couldn't find a way to grind that one out by you know fourteen or seventeen points. They're so limited on offense, and what's even what even is more obvious now to me is the the Big Ten West is completely wide open. I mean, Iowa can't they can't score. Wisconsin is just way too limited on offense. Purdue's one dimensional. Their defense isn't great. Um, Minnesota, are they the favorite? I mean, it's a wide, it's a wide open division, so it's really interesting to see how this is going to play out. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke in Miami, they come off a nice second half against Southern Miss, win it thirty to seven. They're going to Texas A and M. I mean, can Jimbo lose two in a row in College Station? This is uh, this is one of the games that I'm interested in seeing on Saturday. Mega, what do you got on that? And what's the what's the last line you saw on A and M in Miami? Uh, I think it's down to five, actually. Um, I cheer for Miami, so it is, it's painful for me to say, but I just don't think they're ready for this game. I mean, I know as bad as Texas A&M looked, their their wide receiver core is just it's just not that good. I mean, they have one good wide receiver essentially, in my opinion, and their running backs are they're de- it's a decent group, but um, their offensive line is gonna is is not great. They've allowed four sacks in their first two games, and they played uh, two tomato cans, as Brad would say. So. I, I I think this is a, a bounce back spot for Texas A&M. Unfortunately, I know the market's disagreeing; the line's coming down. But um, I mean, Texas A&M laying five or six—it seems that seems like a decent price to me. Yeah, Circa's got five, five and a half at the Westgate here in yeah. town. Total forty-four and a half, forty-fives around town as well. Uh, Haynes King will have to do better than thirteen for twenty for ninety-seven yards. Uh, we'll wait they need see. to put in Max Johnson. I know it's not—he's not the solution, right? Like he's not. He's not going to win them a national championship, but I think he could provide a spark, and I just think he'd provide a little bit more headiness and a little bit more um, 
I don't know, a little bit more leadership. And apparently he's getting 50% of the snaps in practice uh, with the ones. So we'll see. I think that could be actually a sneaky positive that would go unnoticed is that if he starts, I would actually like Texas A&M quite a bit. And I might actually, uh, that might actually be a pick for me this week. All right. So Fresno off the last second loss on the last play of the game at home to Oregon State. And again, Jonathan Smith and the Beavs. They come at you. They get the 32-29 victory or 35-32 victory uh, on that last play. And, again, Brian Panish, not a happy camper, uh, was rather ticked off in the text that he sent me. Uh, said, one more effing play, KT. I don't get it. You know, <laughs> so he was not happy. Uh, but Fresno State is in the Coliseum to take on USC. Southern Cal favored by 12. 74 and a half the total in that one. Look, Jake Hayner throws for a lot of yardage, not a ton of touchdowns. Uh, Remigio's a good receiver. Cropper solid as well. Kelly comes off a nice game at home. Mims out of the backfield, pretty impressive at times. Uh, defensively, Lavelle Bailey, excellent middle linebacker, uh, one of the better ones in the uh, Mountain West for USC, plus eight in turnovers their first two games. That's impressive for Southern Cal, and they've got nine sacks out of the gate. But we talked about it, it was Rice and it was Stanford. Uh, Travis Dye, Austin Jones, the two Pac-12 transfers from Oregon and Stanford, respectively, helping out that Southern Cal backfield. But Caleb Williams looking the part. What about USC? Do they have a uh, a tall task in front of them to cover 12 against Fresno State, who's usually pretty pesky under Tedford? Yeah, I would normally say yes, except for I, I don't I don't think this is a great matchup for Fresno State because I think trading paint, so to speak, with USC is just not going to be a good recipe. I think eventually, I mean, it's just USC is just going to overwhelm them. I think I think I'd prefer to play a team, you know, a, a slower paced team, a team a little bit more methodical against USC. So I mean, 12, 12 is probably the right number. Um, but I don't. I, I mean, I know Fresno played a good game against uh, UCLA last week or last year, and they beat them. Um, I just don't think this is a great matchup for Fresno. So, I mean, I love Jake Hayner and I love the program as far as being scrappy, like you said, under Tedford. But this just this feels like a game where, you know, USC could be up by 10 in the fourth quarter and it could be a coin flip who's going to cover. So I'll probably stay off of it. All right, Meg's about three minutes. Let me duck in three more games real quick. Yep. I want your take on North Texas UNLV. UNLV played Cal Tough in Berkeley, got the cover. Rebels at home under a Royal minus three sixty three against the Mean Green. I, I like North Texas in this game. I think they'll be able to. Their their running game is pretty devastating. And since about well, since about the midpoint of last season, North Texas has been. I think they're six and two, maybe something to that effect. So I, I think I like North Texas as the dog there. All right, I bet Louisville in game, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised that they got the outright win at Central Florida. Malik Cunningham playing a good, solid game. Evans rushed it pretty good out of the backfield. They'll take on Florida State and Mike Norvell. Uh, they're off the bye after the LSU Labor Day win. Uh, Jordan Travis, I like him at quarterback. Uh, Warden Benson and in, in the backfield, you know, pretty good. Uh, Florida State at Louisville, and that's a Friday night game. Who do you like in that game? Uh, last I saw, I think it was, let me see, Florida State's actually a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Two-and-a-half. Yeah, two-and-a-half, 57 the total. Yeah, I mean Florida State in this game. I mean, I think they're the better team, and Jordan Travis is actually grades out quite well. Um, <laughs> and it was only two games, but, I mean, the offense, I kind of trust uh, – I trust Florida State more on both sides of the football, and especially a Florida State's defensive line. Louisville's pretty limited on offense, other than Cunningham um, creating with his legs. So, one interesting tidbit I, fe- I've, I read though was that Louisville scored, uh, I guess, 
31 points in the first half in each of their last two meetings against Florida State, and it's the same coaching staff. So that's just a little interesting tidbit. Not sure it means anything, but I would. If I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna be off of it, Ken, and probably play it in game because I think it's gonna be a back and forth affair. All right, and then the other Friday game, Air Force, off the impressive win last week. Now they did fumble uh, three, t- five times. They lost three of those five fumbles, but still come away blowing out Colorado. How about rushing for 435 yards and five touchdowns? If you looked at the line score, you're going like, what? The box score? Hazik Daniels, one of five for eight yards passing. That was it. That's the that's a one of five for eight yards. But Brad Roberts had 174 and three touchdowns on the ground. Uh, John Lee Eldridge, the third, had eight for 88 and a touchdown. My goodness, 435 yards, 6.2 yards per carry. And again, remember, they fumbled. Five times lost three of those. Had they not, would have been even uglier for Colorado. Air Force is at Wyoming. We know Titus Swen's pretty good. Andrew Peasley, the transfer from Utah State, uh, struggles a little bit. They beat Northern Colorado. Uh, but your take on the Pokes at home, they found ways uh, to get wins. They stole a game against Tulsa. Probably should have lost, but uh, they're at home against Air Force. Real quick, who wins this one? Air Force minus 15, 46 and a half from Laramie. It's hard to go against a team that's averaging over 500 yards per game uh, rushing. Um, Wyoming's offense is disgusting, so I think if I was going to play this game, it would be Air Force and the under. At Megalox.co, check out the site. He's Chris Warinsky. He's Megalox. He's with me Tuesday nights, hour two. Chris, outstanding stuff. Go get some sleep, my man. All right. Thanks a lot, KT. Best wishes to you and all your listeners. There you go. Love that guy and uh, stays up late for KT on Tuesday nights. Does a great job. And that will do it for us on a Fat Tuesday. Back tomorrow live at Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Meet me out there, one of three in the Vegas Valley to serve you. Archives up in about... Uh, about 40 minutes. Till then, you know the rules. No drinking and driving, no texting and driving. Most of all, God bless our troops. God bless you. Live from Vegas, Sports X Radio, 101.5 FM, 720 AM KDWN. I'm Ken Thompson. God bless. Good night, everybody.